Every spring for the past five years, Elizabeth and I have had the opportunity to fly back to a small town just outside of St. Louis, Missouri called Fenton. There we get to spend a few days at Baby Lock headquarters with a group of people who have come to feel like a second family to us. The group is made up not only of those who work for Baby Lock, whom we love, but also people from across the country who are involved in the sewing and quilting industry. Designers, publishers, business owners, and bloggers. Last year, our flight was delayed, and I remember walking in late to the room where everyone was already seated. Slipping in the back, I had a few minutes to look around before anyone noticed that we had arrived. As my eyes roamed the room and I took a silent head count of who was there, I was overwhelmed by a feeling that I was coming home. There in that room were people I have come to love and admire. People who are like-minded and kindred spirits. People I couldn't wait to hug and visit with and be inspired by. But it's not last year's trip that is responsible for today's story. It's a trip a few years back, a trip I took to Fenton alone. Elizabeth wasn't able to make the first half of our annual retreat, so on the morning of my departure to St. Louis, I packed my things and drove myself to the airport. It was a bright sunny day here in Utah. The skies were clear and I was prepared for smooth sailing. But everything was about to change. As I went through security, I had my passport, as always, in the front pouch of my bag and double-checked that I had remembered to get my phone from the car. Sure enough, I was set. Or so I thought. On my way to Missouri, I had to make a brief stop in Denver, Colorado to change planes. This was fairly routine. No problem. However, as we came in for a landing, the plane rocked and bumped and swayed, and I noticed that the sky was dark and the wind was howling. A few short minutes after stepping off the plane, the airport loudspeakers announced that due to unsafe weather conditions, all flights in and out of Denver had been canceled until further notice. Okay, no big deal. I still had hours before I needed to be in St. Louis. I would just go buy myself some nachos at La Casita, find a quiet corner, and read until the storm passed. Side note, if you are ever at the Denver airport, go to La Casita, get the nachos. Trust me on this, they're delicious. Except for that day, when I went to buy myself those nachos, I found that my wallet was gone. Or more precisely, it had never been packed. It was at home on my bed, tucked into a zipper pouch with other travel items like gum and chapstick. So lunch was out. All that was left to do was find my terminal and wait. I found a front row seat next to the windows and began watching a thunder and lightning storm like I had never seen before. It was terrible and beautiful all at the same time, but when I went to take a picture of it to send to my family, my phone died. I hadn't charged it before leaving that morning, and when I went to pull out my charger, I realized that it too was stowed safely away with my wallet inside that zipper pouch sitting on my bed. So there I was, stranded in an airport with no food, no money, and no phone. Minutes later, a woman about my mom's age sat in the seat next to me. We made eye contact. We smiled. She commented on the book I was reading. She'd just finished it. She liked it too. 
And just like that, a conversation started that would fill up my heart and the remaining eight hours I sat there in the airport. The woman was traveling back to her home down south after visiting her daughter in California. Her flight was scheduled to leave right after mine and from the same terminal. She was a quilter and, in fact, had just sewn up a baby quilt using fabric that Elizabeth and I had designed. She also had a purse full of homemade cookies and beef jerky. So there we sat, two strangers with big hair, eating beef jerky and talking about the magic of quilting while watching God's fury crash against the airport's windows. Finally, the airport began resuming flights, and it was time for me to go. I thank my newfound friend for the cookies, the jerky, and the pleasant conversation. By now it was dark, and I was anxious to arrive at my destination, which I did just before 1 a.m. The airport, which is usually hustling and bustling, is pretty quiet after midnight. I knew that a car had been sent for me, but I also knew I was more than eight hours late and that I'd need to find a cab. I grabbed my luggage and started towards the door when I saw a gentleman in a suit and shiny shoes holding a sign with my name on it. It was the driver. He told me they had seen my flight was delayed, and even though his shift had ended at midnight, he didn't mind waiting a little longer for me. I was so thankful. Once we were loaded in the car, he asked what brought me to St. Louis. Ah, quilting, I said. Quilting, he said, and then launched into a story I had never heard before. A story about a little place in Alabama called G's Bend. This is Elizabeth and Liz from Simple Simon and Company, and you are listening to Stitched. Today's episode is sponsored by Baby Lock. Nestled into a horseshoe curve and surrounded on three sides by the Alabama River lies Boykin, a town that covers less than three square miles, a town that is better known as G's Bend. G's Bend was founded by Joseph G. during the antebellum era when Alabama was still a territory and not yet a state. G, a landowner from North Carolina, settled into the area in 1816, along with 18 African-American slaves and established a large cotton plantation. When Joseph died, he passed his plantation along with 47 slaves onto his nephews. His nephews in turn sold the plantation to a relative, Mark Petway, who arrived to take over the plantation with about 100 more African-American slaves. When slavery was finally abolished in 1865, many of the former slaves stayed in G's Bend, working for the Petways as sharecroppers and making up the majority of the small community. Over time, the plantation again changed ownership and slipped into disrepair as the price of cotton fell, all while the townspeople remained isolated on their partial island. In the 1930s, the United States was in the middle of a Great Depression. The stock market had experienced several crashes, and most cities and towns were suffering from economic recession. G's Bend was no exception. By 1932, the citizens of G's Bend were receiving aid from the federal and state government, as well as the Red Cross. Then, in 1937, the government purchased the property known as G's Bend from the absentee owner. The entire plantation, as well as two surrounding farms— the land which the majority of the residents lived on, 
The land was then divided into parcels that residents could now purchase for a nominal fee and start farms of their own. Today, not much has changed in G's Bend. The town is still rural, dotted with small family farms. The community is still close-knit, a place where everyone knows or is related to one another. The numbers are still few. In fact, the 2010 census reports a population of only 275, and the town is still fairly isolated from outside influences, having no stores, businesses, or major roads. Although we would love a journey to G's Bend, we've actually never been. All of our information comes from articles, pictures, videos, and stories that all paint a lovely picture of taking a step back in time to a quiet, simple life, to a supportive community full of beautiful, industrious, creative women, women who make the most amazing quilts, just as they have been doing for the past six generations. Today's episode is brought to you by Baby Lot. January is a time to jump out of your comfort zone and try new things. Nope. Not the gym, a crash diet, or a home remodeling project. We're talking about sewing. Why not make something you never dreamt possible? BabyLock has embroidery, quilting, sewing, and serger projects for all skill levels. Be inspired today with hundreds of projects by visiting babylock.com backslash learn and create backslash projects. And thank you, BabyLock, for making today's podcast possible. Now, back to the story. Possibly without even knowing it, you have more than likely seen at least one of the fantastic quilts made by the women of G's Bend. Over the last decade, these magnificent quilts have received a lot of attention. In 2002, an entire 70 quilt exhibit called The Quilts of G's Bend was shown at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. From there, it traveled to the Whitney Museum of American Art in New York and then continued its journey around the country for a 12-museum tour. It was so popular that a second tour was scheduled in 2008 and stopped in prestigious locations like the Smithsonian. But that's not all. These quilts have also been featured in Newsweek, Art in America, Country Home, House and Garden, and O Magazine, as well as being showcased on a variety of television shows from CBS News to the Martha Stewart Living Show. The quilts at G's Bend have been compared to the artwork of masters like Paul Klee and Henri Matisse, and the New York Times have called the quilts some of the most miraculous works of modern art America has produced. So what is it about these quilts sewn up in a tiny obscure town that make them so special? The G's Bend quilts can be described as bold, improvisational, and personal. Both the fabric and the design choices selected by the quilters of G's Bend can be described as bold. The designs do reflect the influence of both traditional American and African-American quilting and look something akin to the geometric quilts the Amish are so well known for, but they also convey a style and feeling all of their own. And while some of the traditional block designs are recognizable to seasoned quilters, those in G's Bend have coined their own names for each block. For example, in G's Bend, the log cabin is known as the housetop. The courthouse steps block is called bricklayer, and the term crazy quilt 
refers to a quilt made of rail fence quilt blocks rather than one made up of irregular scraps and stitching. However, it is not the traditional blocks, but rather the free-form improvisational design that the G's Bend quilters are best known for. In earlier years, these quilters were heavily influenced by the design that surrounded them, primarily the newspaper collages glued to the interior walls of their homes. These newspaper layers were used for insulation, as was customary in many rural dwellings across the American South. You can see this layered block look reflected in many of the quilts. Blocks vary in color and size and often look stacked. In fact, in several interviews, quilters compared stitching up a quilt to building a house, one room at a time, slowly adding room after room, shape after shape, until the house, or quilt, is finished. As for the fabric choices made in fabric, historically most of the quilts stitched up in G's Bend have been made from worn clothing, which comes as no surprise. Patchwork quilting was born from a scarcity of fabric, resulting in salvaging of fabric from whatever sources were available to be recycled. However, the ladies at G's Bend elevated resourcefulness into an art, and recycled clothing became a staple in their quilt-making process. Commonly found fabrics are denim from used overalls and jeans, as well as apron scraps, worn-out dress pieces, and tattered shirts. But if you look closely, you can also find cotton twill and men's synthetic clothing, including several leisure suits. Another fabric that found its way into the workings of G's Bend is corduroy. Coming onto the quilting scene in the 1970s via a Sears and Roebuck pillow-making production some miles away. Leftover fabric and scraps from the factory was given to workers and made its way back to G's Bend, where it was passed along to family members or sold in bundles. This new fabric even added more texture, contrast, and personality to the already stylized quilts. In G's Bend, the process of making quilt tops is considered to be highly personal. The quilt top is always made by a single quilter, designed and pieced alone, often by hand. This allows the top to express a singular point of view and a vision that the creator intended. However, the process of quilting that quilt is usually a community project and accomplished by small groups of women around wooden quilting frames and again done by hand. With all these elements combined, the generational quilting traditions, the worn clothing fabric selection, adding not only texture but history to each quilt top, the deeply personal improvisational hand piecing, the community hand quilting, the bold designs, the eccentric styles, and the unique story told by each quilt makes these quilts sewn in G's Bend national treasures indeed. That night, when I climbed into the hired car, tired and penniless, I had no idea I would spend the next hour talking to a complete stranger about quilting his mother, and the magical world of G's Bend. When we arrived at the motel, we stood outside to talk longer. He made me promise to look up the story of G's Bend, and he promised me that the quilt wouldn't disappoint. It was well after 2 a.m. when I finally entered my motel room, but before I drifted off to sleep, I pulled a laptop out of my suitcase to look up the quilts he spoke so highly of. And he was right. They didn't disappoint and I've been a fan ever since. 
Quilters are a rare breed, and not just the quilters at G's Bend. Elizabeth and I have had the opportunity to travel across the country from Boston to Portland and from Minneapolis to Houston to talk about quilting. And if I've learned anything from all my travels, it's this. The heart of a quilter is golden. If you meet a quilter, you meet a soul that spends hours cutting, sewing, designing, and agonizing over every stitch in an intricate artwork made from fabric lovingly folded away in her personal stash, an artwork that is made to bring comfort and to be loved and used and worn out by someone else. Someone else. Someone who's about to have a baby, lost a loved one, is going through cancer treatments, is just heading off to college or getting married. Sound familiar? If so, you know a quilter. Quilters stitch together the scraps of whatever they have to provide others with a very real sense of warmth, comfort, and support. If you find a quilter, you've found a safe haven, a port in the storm, like I did in the Denver airport, like I have with my friends and colleagues at Baby Lock, like I did that night, as I talked to a gentleman who carried his mother's heart within his own and delighted in talking about her masterful stitching underneath a clear Midwestern night sky. For more stories, projects, and quilt tutorials, visit us over at www.simplesimonandco.com. There you can find a variety of different quilt patterns, projects, and tutorials for all skill levels. And while you are there, look for our newest project, Stash, a private online interactive quilting group that receives a new PDF pattern each and every month, fresh and ready to sew up. <laughs>